0: I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is The Art of Being Well. What's up? This is Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to the Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine practitioner. My day job is I get to consult people around the world via webcam and get to the root cause of why they're struggling with their health issues. We drop ship labs and provide them a functional medicine perspective on their health issues. So that's where I've been for the past decade or so. I've been holed up in my functional medicine center talking to people just like you via webcam. And From that passion of mine, this show is an outpouring of that. And um, I wanted to have a deep dive conversations on different aspects of wellness and something that I've seen from my clinical experience. Every episode is very specifically picked and curated by me. I brought on guests that I know will benefit people on topics that I know will benefit people because for the past decade, for Fifty plus hours a week, I'm hearing people's stories. I'm hearing what people want educated on. I'm hearing what people are, are dealing with and they want solutions and they want a lifeline. They want answers. So that's what the art of being well is all about. So every four to five episodes, I'm going to have a solo deep dive episode. And the other episodes are going to be more conversational, uh, interview style with me and just amazing minds and leaders in their field and their respective field, whatever we're talking about that week. But the first episode of this podcast, The Art of Being Well, was a solo episode about the ethos of The Art of Being Well. And this is the official second solo episode where I get to this is going to be a deep dive of all things intuitive fasting, which is the title of my newest book. And I'm so pumped for you to read this. It's out, well, depending on when you're listening to this, it's on pre-order right now or it's out. And it is something I'm very excited about. I was working on it for the latter part of 2019 throughout all of 2020 in between consulting patients. So we're talking about in the evenings, long weekends after my patients, I've been just scouring the research and applying this in a way that made sense, that really resonated with me. And I'm used to consulting people and leading the way. So it's another thing to, as a writer, have this all make sense without me being there. I am so happy. Out of my three books, this is without a doubt my favorite, and I want to talk about it today. As its name implies, intuitive fasting. On one level, it's a play on words of the prefix INT of intermittent fasting, but this is sort of flip on its head, intuitive fasting. So it's paradoxical on one level, how the heck could fasting ever be intuitive? And that's what the whole conversation of the book is. It's this on one level paradox. I'm drawn to paradoxes, I think in many ways, functional medicine on the surface is a paradox, the best of alternative medicine, the best of conventional medicine. And then we have Ketotarian, my first book, the best of plant-based, the best of keto, and then intuitive fasting. How could fasting be intuitive? Well, On one end, when someone's metabolically inflexible, and we'll talk about it over this episode, fasting will be anything but intuitive, because when you're in the throes of hangriness and cravings and blood sugar rollercoaster, fasting will not be intuitive. But when someone has metabolic flexibility, and we're going to talk about it on the show, what that means and how to get there, fasting will be intuitive and eating will be authentically intuitive. So let's get right it intuitive fasting. Specifically, I want to teach you how to boost your body and your brain when it comes to flexible intermittent fasting. And just a preface on all of this. If you want to learn more about intuitive fasting, if you want to learn more about my telehealth center, go to drwillcole.com. That's D R W I L L C O L E dot. Com. We have a lot of pre-order swag for intuitive fasting right now. We have a private online fasting group with a live Q&A sessions with me, multiple live Q&A sessions with me. You'll get access to a download shopping guide for people that pre-order the book based on the meal plan that's in the book, and also a sneak peek of a chapter right now. So you can get all that information at drwillcole.com. So let's back up a little bit what we're going to talk about. And Let's go a little bit beyond just physical, bodily, individual human health, and let's look at from a just a world standpoint. There is a a beautiful balance that's sewn in to the fabric of our universe. Think about it. There's this dichotomous balance that is quilted in the cosmos, of which you are an intrinsic part of. You are part of the universe and people in our modern way of thinking, we like to divorce ourselves from nature, but we're part of nature. And that divorcing from nature, that that mismatch between genetics and epigenetics or our DNA and the world around us is the cause of a lot of problems that we're going to get into in today's episode and tie it into intermittent fasting. What the heck is he talking about? But where there is balance, there is order. And where there is a loss of that balance, problems arise. So our modern world is filled with noisy imbalances of all kinds. Think of it: I mean, traffic jams in polluted cities, to to all the Twitter wars and the social media tribalism and pontification of negativity online and on social media. There is noisy imbalances of all kinds. And this this global bellowing is not just external in the world and on social media, but it's also internal as well. When you look at autoimmune conditions to anxiety, depression to diabetes, brain fog to fatigue, heart disease to hormone problems, what do all of these have in common? All of these health problems have one thing in common, and that is inflammation, inflammation. Inflammation is a nebulous term. What the heck is it, right? Maybe you know a little bit about it. It's a product of the immune system. In balance, it's actually not a bad thing. In balance, it's not a bad thing. Out of balance, that's chronic inflammation. That's inflammation too high for too long, the sort of forest fire burning in perpetuity, that is inflammation out of balance. Chronic inflammation equals imbalance on a physiological in your body sort of way. So, as above, so below, as there's climate change going on globally and forest fires ranging globally, geopolitical noise going on globally. There's an internal physiological forest fire that's going on in millions and millions of people's bodies, sadly, in the form of chronic health problems. When you're talking about 50 million Americans having an autoimmune disease, millions more that are somewhere on this larger autoimmune inflammation spectrum, it's upwards of 250 million people worldwide have an autoimmune disease. That's inflammation out of balance. It's estimated that 50% of the United States is insulin resistant. They have a blood sugar problem, whether that's metabolic syndrome, trouble losing weight, whether it's the cravings and chronic inflammation, uh, prediabetes, type two diabetes, that's a lot of people that are on that insulin resistant spectrum. This is another form of imbalance. Chronic inflammation is imbalance. And let me say a little bit more specifically, every food you eat either feeds inflammation or fights it. There's no benign food. There's no Switzerland meal. Food is either bringing inflammation up or bringing inflammation down. It's throwing inflammation out of balance or bringing inflammation in balance. And that is the opportunity that we have at every meal. So using your meals as medicine is central to calming inflammation, whether you're wherever you're at on the inflammation spectrum, mild fatigue, mild brain fog, mild weight loss resistance, mild digestive problems on one end of the inflammation spectrum all the way to the other end of the inflammation, which is the overt, diagnosable autoimmune disease, diabetes, mental health issue. I mean, look, we cannot separate mental health from physical health. Mental health is physical health. Our brain is part of our body. So when you look at anxiety, depression, fatigue, brain fog, even ADD, ADHD, autism, All of these brain health problems have been shown in the scientific literature to have inflammatory components and what's referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function. Cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's research looking at how inflammation is impacting how our brains work. It's inflammation out of balance. So if every food we eat either feeds inflammation or fights it, what's right for you? So I'm a fan of, of intuitive eating, and it's nice to say that on social media, right? But when you're in the throes of imbalance, can you really eat intuitively when your body is out of balance? Is it intuition or hangriness? Is it intuition or hormone imbalance? You know, stress eating is not intuitive eating. Insatiable cravings is not intuitive eating. Eating a food that will perpetuate the inflammation, eating foods that will perpetuate you feeling horrible is the antithesis of intuitive eating, true, authentic intuitive eating. Eating food that brings more... Discomfort in your body and disrupts the balance in your body is something disguising itself as your intuition. Imbalance can disguise itself as your intuition. So, thankfully, there is a way to restore that balance, that resolute balance, to hear that still small voice of your intuition. And that tool is my made up word of intuitive fasting. You got- Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kotz. And I'm Stephanie Sambari, and we are the hosts of That's So Retrograde. Part of us? For the past 200 and some episodes, we've been trying to figure out what the hell wellness is. We have inspiring and fun conversations with all types of amazing people, from healers to comedians to whatever's in between. We're five years in, but we're just getting started. So hop on board every Thursday to join the party and route to living your best life. And don't forget your cannabis. Or to check us out on Instagram at So Retrograde. That's right. Bye. See you there. So let's talk about fasting as a whole. Fasting is actually coded in our DNA. So researchers estimate that our DNA hasn't changed. 99% of it hasn't changed in 10,000 years. Yet our world has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. When you look at our food supply, the things we're exposed to, environmental toxins, toxins in our food toxins in our water, soil depletion, there's a genetic epigenetic mismatch. And that's what researchers are really exploring in the medical literature of what is triggering these genetic predispositions like never before. So if our DNA, our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years, how the heck is more people diagnosed with autoimmune disease, diagnosed with mental health issues, diagnosed with metabolic issues like never before? Certainly better diagnostics is part of it, but that doesn't explain the totality of why more and more people are getting more and more sick. Well, researchers are exploring this evolutionary mismatch, if you will, between genetics and epigenetics. And this growing chasm, this growing gap between genetics and epigenetics is really at the heart of a lot of researchers looking at why more people are getting more sick. So fasting is something that humans would have evolved with. Our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years. Just from a food supply standpoint, humans would have been forced to go through times of not eating because of scarcity and foods not being available and famines, et cetera. People would have gone traditionally through times of fasting and over, and because our DNA hasn't changed in 10,000 years, researchers have known and and now shown through studies that fasting and times of not eating is actually coded in our DNA. So decrease that genetic epigenetic mismatch, flexible intermittent fasting is one tool to decrease that gap between genetics and epigenetics. So let's also talk about, not just from an ancestral health perspective of being more in alignment with our ancestors, let's also talk about the spirituality of fasting. You look at every culture around the globe, they did fasting for health purposes, but they also did fasting for spiritual purposes too. If you look at Judaism with Yom Kippur and Tish Av, you look at Islam with Ramadan, you look at Christianity, Lent started out as a time of fasting, you look at indigenous uh, cultures around the world, they did fasting for spiritual purposes and for health purposes. And even if you look at it from a health perspective too, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, you know, every doctor takes a Hippocratic oath, you know, first do no harm. He also said all disease begins in the gut. Now we know research is is finding the majority of health problems begin in the gut. Well, Hippocrates also implemented fasting protocols for his patients because he saw anecdotally that people got healthier uh, when they went through times of fasting. These guys, like Hippocr- Hippocrates and Paracelsus, who is known today, he's known today as the father of toxicology. He was also known as the Martin Luther of medicine because he's reforming medicine at the time. He said, fasting was the physician within, which I think is such an eloquent way to put it the physician within. It's this recalibrator, this resetter. It's more in alignment with our DNA. So you decrease that chasm of that evolutionary mismatch. And so there's the science and the spirituality of fasting. These guys did not have double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized controlled trials. They did not have scientific literature to show the mechanisms at play, but they saw it had benefits on a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. Now, modern science is just catching up with antiquity. That now we have the trials, now we have the science, now we have the pathways, now we understand the the technical pathways of it to really substantiate what antiquity showed us and what humans would have evolved with over time, both from an ancestral health perspective, a spiritual perspective indigenously, as well as uh, early founders of modern medicine like Hippocrates and Paracelsus. So let's talk about what I refer to as intuitive fasting principle one. We have to shift from a sugar burner to a fat burner to fuel your body powerfully and gain metabolic flexibility. So most people are stuck in this sugar burning mode. They're hangry, their blood sugar is all over the place. They're struggling with chronic inflammation and they're struggling with maybe different autoimmune issues, digestive problems. They're stuck in various forms of sugar burning mode, which is normal, but if you're only stuck in that sugar-burning mode, it is not a good place. It's it's metabolic inflexibility or metabolic rigidity. I want people to have the flexibility and metabolic flexibility to burn both sugar and fat. There's a time and place for both. That is intuitive fasting principle one. Shift from sugar-burning to fat-burning to fuel your body, meaning get more energy and gain metabolic flexibility. So just to give some statistics here, Americans eat an average of 765 grams of sugar every five days. That's a lot of freaking sugar, y'all. Compare that number to just 45 grams of sugar that Americans ate back in 1822 over the same time period. And today, the average American eats and drinks around 130 pounds of added sugar every freaking year, adding up to an astounding 3,550 pounds in a lifetime. That's equal to eating, get this, 1.7 million Skittles or an industrial sized dumpster full of sugar. Just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. Again, this genetic epigenetic mismatch. Our DNA is like, what the heck? It's living in a brave new world, being exposed to things that human DNA has never evolved with. So we need to get off the blood sugar roller coaster. And I find that this is still a real food problem, you know, quote unquote real food. People are eating lots of starches, lots of carbohydrates from real foods, lots of fruit sugar. All that stuff is better alternatives than the standard American garbage refined process stuff, but it's still a lot of sugar. So here's some things to think about. If you're a sugar burner only mode, if you crave sweets or breads and pastries like a lot, if you become irritable and hangry, if you miss a meal, If you find yourself needing caffeine or sugar to get through the day, if it's difficult for you to lose weight, if you're struggling with different inflammatory problems, if you get agitated, easily upset or nervous, you may also feel jittery. If you have a low sex drive, these are all signs that your body may be in more of a sugar burning mode. I have a quiz on drwillcole.com. It's the metabolic flexibility quiz that I adapted from the quiz in the book. Uh, If you want to take it for free now, it's at drwillcole.com. So these are some things to consider. Uh, Some labs to look at from a functional medicine standpoint that I look at for patients is serum insulin. The optimal range is going to be under three. Uh, C-peptide, which is for every molecule of C-peptide, you have a molecule of insulin. We want C-peptide to be about 0.8 to 3.1 because hyperinsulinemia or excess insulin is one of the founding factors of insulin resistance. It's excess insulin because the receptor sites in the cells are blunted and not picking up insulin appropriately. We want fasting blood sugar or fasting glucose to be around 75 to 90. And in, in functional medicine, these are optimal ranges, not just the lab's reference ranges. We want hemoglobin A1c to be under 5.3. We want triglycerides or circulating fat to be under 100. Above 100 is one sign that the body's starting to store blood sugar as triglycerides. It's basically converting excess blood sugar, to circulating fat. So triglycerides above 100 is one sign of that. And then HDL or quote unquote good cholesterol, the optimal range for that is about 59 to 100. So here's an intuitive fasting principle number two. Intermittent fasting is exponentially amplified with the clean ketogenic diet. So ketosis, both intermittent fasting and the clean ketogenic diet both increase something called ketosis or nutritional ketosis, meaning your body produces naturally something called ketones or ketone bodies, the main one being beta-hydroxybutyrate, even though there's many other ones that have similar benefits. But going back to that genetic and epigenetic mismatch, well, ketosis takes us back to our cellular DNA roots because from an ancestral health perspective, we would have adapted and evolved over time to depend on ketones for fuel, and researchers actually refer to beta-hydroxybutyrate as the fourth macronutrient. So we have protein, fats, carbs, and ketone bodies, or beta-hydroxybutyrate, or BHB. So we are actually, as humans, all born relying on fat in the form of breast milk for brain development and for energy. So every baby is actually born making ketones, Uh, and they're needed, ketones are needed for little babies for their brains to grow and to thrive. And even if you weren't breastfed, what is added to formulas to mimic breast milk? It's MCT oil derived from coconut and palm oil. So human body needs this very much so. Let's talk about the benefits of flexible intermittent fasting and what it can do for you on a practical level. It will help with fat burning, of course, but if you don't have to lose weight, it actually preserves muscle. This being fat adapted and metabolically flexible is actually muscle sparing. You actually will build lean muscle mass and you'll improve digestion and absorption. So if you're underweight, you can actually gain some healthy muscle weight back uh, by improving your gut health and absorption and digestion, as well as preserving muscle because of times of ketosis. But if you do have to lose weight, you'll become more of a fat burner. You'll have increased energy. you have better mental clarity, better blood pressure. You can have improved acne and skin problems you have curbed food cravings, you can have lowered risk of some cancers that get their fuel from sugar, you can have reversed or improved symptoms of PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, you can have pr- improved or if not reversed type 2 diabetes as well. That's what all research researchers have shown that a clean ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting is promising for and can be a tool to consider. Another pathway that I'm really excited about when it comes to this, the state of ketosis, whether you get it from a clean ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting, or I would advocate both, it amplifies the benefits of both because they work so synergistically, is something called autophagy. If you break that word down, autophagy, it's self-eating. It's all our healthy cells gobbling up all the dysfunctional cells. So it's this own innate recycling system. It's It's Think of it as your body's anti-aging, anti-disease mechanism that many people, their autophagy pathways are really blunted and lowered. So this is a way to boost and support this healing mechanism of autophagy. It's definitely something I'm excited with uh, as far as the research is concerned with fasting. Another benefit of intermittent fasting and, and clean ketogenic diet is reduced inflammation. Remember we talked about inflammation out of balance is the commonality between all these health problems. So this is a way to lower inflammation exponentially. And remember, food is one of the biggest factors when it comes to managing inflammation, and fasting is another way to lower inflammation. Because beta hydroxybutyrate, or this ketone, is not just a form of fuel, it's not just a way to burn fat, it's also a signaling molecule, meaning it does really cool things for your health, and it's what's known as an epigenetic modulator working on these anti-inflammatory pathways. So all these pro-inflammatory pathways, we can help to lower it. Things like what's known as the NF-kappa B, the COX-2 pathway, the NLRP3 inflammasome. It's okay, you don't have to memorize this stuff, but it's all these pro-inflammatory cytokines that are high in all these people that are struggling with different health problems or even mild levels of it for people that are dealing with mild problems. It's a natural endogenous inflammatory, a potent anti-inflammatory that you can tap into. Because remember, there's this larger autoimmune inflammation spectrum where in functional medicine, I'm looking at labs, uh, things like high sensitivity C-reactive protein, that's an inflammatory marker that we want it to be under one. While fasting and a clean ketogenic diet is a way to lower high sensitivity C-reactive protein, homocysteine, I want that as another inflammatory marker. I want that to be under seven to lower that inflammatory marker. Above seven has been shown to increase blood-brain barrier permeability and contribute to cardiovascular inflammation as well as neuroinflammation or brain inflammation. So just to recap this, beta-hydroxybutyrate is strong anti-inflammatory, and it also increases these pro-antioxidant, anti-inflammatory pathways like AMPK pathway and the NRF2 pathway. Your body is all doing this. Just to reiterate something that Paracelsus said, that father of of medicine in Switzerland all those years ago, he called fasting the physician within. So you can start to see this inner doctor repairing and renewing and resetting all these systems of the body because it's decreasing that genetic epigenetic mismatch. Another thing that fasting can do is it balances the gut-brain axis. Remember, our gut and brain are actually formed from the same fetal tissue. So when babies are growing in the mom's womb, the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue and are inextricably linked for the rest of their life through what's known as the gut-brain axis or the connection between our gut and brain. So researchers have shown that fasting can actually change the gut microbiota, all the trillions of bacteria of the microbiome in our gut, actually improving brain function because of the connection between the gut and brain. So that's why a lot of researchers were looking at initially the ketogenic diet and fasting uh, for kids with seizure disorders and different neurological problems, because it actually regulates The gut microbiome, 95% of serotonin, our neurotransmitters are made in the gut, stored in the gut. And researchers also have shown that it helps to balance GABA and glutamate, uh, increases the anti-anxiety neurotransmitter GABA, and lowers the excitatory glutamate, all from regulating this gut-brain axis, both from the microbiome and because it acts as an anti-inflammatory in the brain directly as well. Because ketones have also been shown to lower neuroinflammation specifically and have neuroplasticity improvements. Basically, our brain actually encouraging our brain to make new neurons. It improves something called BDNF, or brain-derived neurotropic factor, and it improves something called mitochondrial biogenesis, encouraging our body to Make stronger, more healthier mitochondria, which we need for cellular energy. This is all great for our brain. Because remember, our brain, 60% of our brain is fat. You're a fat head, I'm a fat head, we're all fat heads and something personal. But giving our body healthy fats from a macronutrient standpoint, but also supporting healthy levels of cyclical ketosis supports brain health that way as well. And also remember that 25% of all our body's cholesterol is in our brain. So that's why researchers have shown, in for many different reasons, for many different pathways, a clean ketogenic diet and fasting can be a great tool for people with issues like autism, ADHD, anxiety, and depression, and the list goes on and on, ad infinitum. But keep in mind, because ketones are a signaling molecule, they can pass through the blood-brain barrier. It's like ample... Brain food. And I mentioned it improves BDNF or brain-derived neurotropic factor, actually making new neurons and making your brain more resilient. And then, of course, the mitochondrial biogenesis. So let's talk about it. So, how do we bring our body into center? How do we get that inflammation out of balance and and feel great. Well, I put together a four-week flexible fasting plan in intuitive fasting that is sort of a a yoga class for your metabolism, if you will, where we're expanding and contracting our eating and fasting windows to gain metabolic flexibility. So let me touch on that a little bit. Most people are in that sugar-burning mode. That's like kindling on the fire. You're going to get light, but it's going to be short-lived. You have to keep putting kindling all day long. Remember, there's better kindling like real food, like smoothies that are high in sugar or starches or grains or legumes, those are all clean kindling. It's better than the junk food of the standard Western diet, but it's still kindling nonetheless. The alternative is burning fat for fuel, and that's like a log on the fire. So all those research and all the, the the benefits that I just showed you with fasting and a clean ketogenic diet, which both increase beta-hydroxybutyrate, this ketone, that's like a log on the fire. It's more slow-burning. It's more sustainable. It's going to burn longer, more lasting energy to get you through the day. So they're both a clean ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting, both support this fourth macronutrient to do all these amazing things, to boost your brain, to lower inflammation, to reset the gut, to improve brain function, all that stuff we talked about. So, but I want, and this is very important here, that I want metabolic flexibility. There's a time and place for clean kindling. I don't think everybody should be in ketosis all the time. I want there to be a grace and a lightness and a flexibility To this, So that's why I designed this four-week flexible fasting plan in intuitive fasting to do just that. So by pairing a cyclical ketotarian diet, which is my made-up word for a mostly plant-based ketogenic diet, we're going to focus on lots of healthy fats, mostly vegan keto. So coconut oil, coconut cream, avocados, avocado oil, ghee, olive oil, olives, eggs, things like nuts and seeds. We're going to soak them to make them more digestible wild-caught fish, lots of leafy green, non-starchy vegetables, lots of sulfur-rich vegetables like broccoli and Brussels sprouts and cabbage, low-fructose fruits like berries, limes, lemons, grapefruit. This clean, ketotarian way of eating paired with flexible intermittent fasting exponentially enhances the benefits of all the things I just mentioned. So just an overall like recap, these ketotarianisms that I talk about in the book, you want to eat real food, You want to keep your carbs low, predominantly. You want to keep your healthy fats high. If you eat a non-starchy vegetable, you can add some healthy fats. If you have a healthy fat, you can add some non-starchy vegetables. Remember to eat when you're hungry, eat when you're satisfied during your eating windows. And then pairing that with these flexible intermittent fasting windows, we're going to really amplify the benefits of both. So intuitive fasting week one, this one type of intermittent fasting, these are all types of... Time-restricted feeding or TRFs, these are specific eating windows that you're gonna be eating these clean ketotarian diet over the course of four weeks that you can cycle through the four weeks as many times as you need to. So week one is a body reset fast. It's a 12-12 fasting to eating window. So meaning 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Have a work with your schedule. It should be flexible. So don't be super dogmatic about it. But you're getting your calories in within a 12-hour period. uh, And you're allowing your body to fast through the night until you break the fast at breakfast but you're pairing that with a ketotarian diet, which mimics fasting. Because remember, both are supporting nutritional ketosis. So you're doing a 12-12 ketotarian fast on week one. On week two, we're digging a little bit deeper. We're going to tighten that eating window a little bit. We're going to expand that fasting window a little bit to about an 18-hour fast for week two. So you're going to do a six-hour eating window or 18-hour fast. And you could scale it back a little bit, basically 16 to 18 hour, but I would at least like you to try at least one 18 hour fast in week two. The other days of the week could be 16, but let's go with 18 hour fast. That's about a 12 to 6 PM eating window. You could pick any six hour eating window that you want because a six hour eating window is an 18 hour fast, meaning 24 hours of the day. That week, it's a meta- metabolic recharge fast. So we're working on decreasing cardiometabolic risk factors, lowering insulin resistance, balancing blood sugar, lowering inflammation, all those anti-inflammatory benefits we're really digging into with the 18-hour fast in week two paired with the ketotarian diet. Again, synergistically supporting this physician within. And then week three is the deepest fast. That's the cellular renewal fast. That's an almost OMAD fast, every other day. So it's non-consecutive, almost OMAD fast. That's an acronym that stands for one meal a day. So we're going to do an almost OMAD fast. So it's a 22 to two uh, fasting to eating window because there's research to show that doing a more traditional OMAD, which is 24 to one, t- sorry, 23 to one fasting to eating window, it, it it's too you to get all your calories in in that short period of time doesn't work for everybody. It works for some people and that's fine. But I loosened it up, made it more flexible to a non-consecutive every other day, 22 to two fasting to eating window. You can even do a 20 to 22 fasting to eating window because it allows more time for you to eat your meals because this is not caloric restriction. You're getting your calories in just in a tighter window. So this Cellular Renewal Fast, we're digging deeper into deeper ketosis, we're supporting the longevity benefits, stem cell activation, those autophagy, anti-disease, anti-aging pathways in week three. And then in week four, it is the Hormone Rebalance Fast. We are really working on bringing the clean kindling back on the fire because we got the log on the fire over the first three weeks. We're doing some clean carb cycling in week four and a looser fast. We go back to twelve twelve with hormone rebalance fast. We're increasing our clean carbohydrates because we want to support thyroid hormones and progesterone and uh, support female hormone cycle, all of that stuff. So context matters. All of these things that you hear that like fasting's bad for women or fasting's great for women, well, it's about how you're doing it and who you are. Not all women are the same, but I find that, most women do better with a cyclical ketotarian approach and a cyclical fast that's not dogmatic. It's flexible and you can work it around your cycle or work it around your preference. So hormone rebalance fast increases clean carbohydrates and that's one way to become and maintain metabolic flexibility for a lifetime because you're burning the fat for fuel over the three weeks and then you're clean carb cycling over the week four, uh, which is really a balanced measured approach. So over week four... We are really working on clean carb cycling with a looser fast because th- this vacillating, ebbing and flowing fasting and eating process that we're cycling through over four weeks is this proverbial yoga class for your metabolism. So when I show up to yoga the first time, I suck at yoga, right? I mean, yoga is difficult. How the heck is the human body supposed to hold these poses? It seems unnatural I'm, because why? I'm not good at it. I'm new to it. Uh, my muscles are tight. And I haven't practiced. So this is a practice, a yoga class for your metabolism. And the more you do it, the more flexible you're going to be, just like you are more flexible with yoga and you can rest in those poses and become stronger and become more flexible. That's what's going to happen for your metabolism over these four weeks of the flexible fasting plan. And week four is the proverbial savasana at the end of the yoga class. You're resting in, wow, I just did that. This yoga class was freaking amazing. And you showed up for yourself and did it. That's what week four, the hormone rebalance fast in the book is all about. Cause you're clean carb cycling, you're loosening up, and then you could cycle back through those four weeks again, cause you're going to have two consecutive weeks of 12, 12, and then go back in. So this vacillating, Diversity of eating windows and macro variations is is the uh, when they say variety is the spice of life. Diet variability is a secret ingredient, if you will, to metabolic flexibility because your body's not doing the same thing. Because what is this? This is a um, form of hormesis. It's a good stress. It's a good resilience, just like exercise, just like yoga is. That this good stress will actually make you more resilient, more strong, more centered in the long run. So that's what I built over these four weeks where you're pairing these eating windows and specific foods, healing foods on their own right, but you're amplifying those healing benefits with these flexible vacillating fasting windows. So that is... The plan in the book. I go into greater detail in the book about female hormone balance and how you can leverage these psych- around your cycle, around your period and ovulation. I talk about all different types of women because not all women the same. So let's please, 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 please don't be overly reductionist and say fasting is not good for women. That is just selling so many people short because all women are different. I know that's earth shatteringly like news for you, but uh, it, it's true. Uh, it, you've heard it here first, that is she going through metabolic issues, PCOS? Is she going through insulin resistance? That's different than the, the woman that's lean and going through low thyroid issues and chronic stress and not sleeping well. It's not the fasting that's a problem. It's how you're doing it for your body. So we have to look at the type of fast and meeting your body where it's at context matters. I know it's not sexy for sound bites, but it's the truth. And when you spend your whole day consulting people about this stuff, you learn that context matters and making broad sweeping overgeneralized statements and saying fasting is not good for women. Well, that's uh, very nice to pontificate, but that's actually not true. It is true that women tend to be more higher in something called kispeptin, which is a signaling, signaling molecule that I talk about in the book that makes some women more sensitive to fasting and ketosis, but that's why you do a cyclical approach. You're not always in ketosis to put the kindling on the fire, the clean carbs when you need to, but you still have a log on the fire too. That makes the fire even brighter because you have metabolic flexibility of both kindling and the log. That's the truth. Don't depend just on kindling, don't depend just on the log, have both and your energy and quality of life will be amplified exponentially. So half of the book is the practical application and the protocol and the, the how-to stuff and the ethos of it, my heart behind why we're doing this. And then the other half of the book is recipes and pretty pictures and meal plans and all that stuff that I think are really important from a practical how-do-I-do-this standpoint or what-does-it-look-like standpoint. So, because we're, look, we're not advocating an eating disorder disguised as a wellness practice. This is about loving your body enough to do things to feel great. And as I say, oftentimes on the show, I say it to my patients for the past decade, and I'll say it, I say it throughout the book, is you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot shame your way into wellness. You cannot obsess your way into health. This is not an orthorexic manual for obsessive eating. This is a balanced, measured, flexible approach to feeling great. And that's very much the message of intuitive fasting because guess what? When you have metabolic flexibility, you have balanced blood sugar, you have lower inflammation levels, you have proper hormonal balance, you have proper gut-brain axis signaling, that is fertile ground for intuitive eating, authentic intuitive eating. Because you'll know, I eat when I'm hungry but you have a log in the fire. You're going to be able to go longer without eating. uh, So you can just randomly do intermittent fasting, not because it's arduous or punitive, or you're not even thinking about it. It's that you have a log in the fire, your blood sugar is more stable, and you just can go longer times without eating. So that's what intuitive fasting is all about. There's a grace and a lightness to wellness. And something that I want people to discover for themselves is something called food peace. Having a respect and a sacredness around their body, a respect and sacredness around food, and just a respect and sacredness around wellness itself. The big section of the book is not just about fasting or food. It's what I call metaphysical meals. It's what type of mindfulness practice are you gonna bring when you are fasting and what type of type of mindfulness practice will you bring when you are eating? And using fasting as a mindfulness tool and use eating and food as a mindfulness tool. All of this, I mean, the, the mindfulness tools will work on the, the mental, emotional, spiritual side of, of intuition. But the physical side of of uh, intuition when it comes to fasting and food as medicine, that's the physiological side of intuition with proper hormonal signaling, gut brain access signaling, all the all the physical stuff. But when you pair the mental emotional with the physiological, that is authentic intuitive eating. It's not a vapid sound bite that sounds nice with a hashtag, but it's a real authentic thing that I see for patients on an hourly basis come to life and I want the same for you. So, without a doubt, I want you to check out this book cuz I know, without a doubt, if people take action on this and start leaning into the principles, it will change the course of your health. So, if you can, if you want to, check it out. It's On order right now, everywhere you get books, you can check it out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. All the links are on drwillcole.com. Intuitive fasting. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything This question is from Sarah. Sarah asks, hi, Dr. Cole. I've heard you talk a lot about OMAD and OMAD fast. Is this something you recommend for everybody? So I talk a little bit about that in this episode. So if you remember week three, it's the cellular renew fast in intuitive fasting and it's almost OMAD fast. You are right, Sarah. I have written about OMAD in the past. It's something that I do in my life periodically. I don't do it all the time. What I advocate for many of my patients, and that's why I wrote it in Intuitive Fasting This Way, is an almost OMAD approach. It's not as strict as a 23 to 1 fasting to eating window. It's a more flexible intermittent fasting window, so it's a 20 to 22 four to two hour or two to four hour eating window uh, and the rest would be fasting. So this more flexible, almost OMAD, almost one meal a day approach, it allows for basically one and a half meals because there's some studies that show That fasting in that tight of a a window and getting all your calories in, remember, this is not about chronic caloric restriction. That's not what intermittent fasting is about. It's about getting your calories within specific windows, getting all your calories in for the day has a lot to do for some people. Some people can do it. A lot of people can't. So by expanding your eating window a little bit and doing an almost OMAD approach is a more flexible, sustainable approach for people. Because there's studies to show, and I talk about the, I cite the the research in the book, that eating all those that that calories in that short period of time can increase something called the PKR pathway, and upregulate something called metaflammation, which is what the researchers refer to as basically systemic inflammation because it's so much digestion and, and so much work for your digestive system in such a short period of time. So by expanding it a little bit, you can leverage the benefits of a deeper OMED fast without doing too much too soon eating in such a small window of time. I have a whole section in the book called Break the Fast Meals. They're basically soft cooked soups and stews as really great transition out of those deeper fasts. So your villi and your gut are gonna be slightly blunted Cortisol is going to be a little bit high coming out of your fast. That's a good thing. So just like exercise, cortisol comes up during your fast. Your cortisol comes up a little bit too because it's a hormetic effect. Hormesis is that good stress to make your body more resilient. And a lot of the healing benefits come from that state of periodic hormesis um, or periodic good cellular resilience, cellular stress. So by transitioning your body into eating with something gentle like a soup or stew or a smoothie even, or some soft cooked food, it's a great way to wake up your gut and say, hey, look, you were fasting, you were repairing, now it's time to digest. And then about an hour, an hour and a half into your eating window, you can have your regular meal and a snack as well. So that's what that almost OMAD week looks like in week three, which is a cellular renewal. We're working on autophagy and the stem cell and the more of the longevity benefits. But we're doing that non-consecutively, remember that, Sarah, that it would be like uh, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or like almost OMAD, then a 12-12 fasting and eating window, then almost OMAD, then a 12-12, meaning 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. you have all day to eat, basically. So you're doing fasting day and then a refeeding day, a fasting day and a refeeding day. That grace and lightness, that flexibility really leverages the benefits without doing too much too soon for your body and then in week four you're loosening it back up so it's not something i would necessarily do every week but it's definitely something that you can do periodically to really get into the deeper support those deeper longevity and autophagy benefits of fasting thanks for the question, there That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.